1: It's a Saturday morning right here on Wichita's Big Talker 1480 KQAM. Hey, welcome into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a Saturday, trying to kick off your weekend the best way we know how to do so, and we kill it every single weekend. At least that's what we tell ourselves. Welcome into the show, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we would love to hear from you today. Got a heck of a show lined up for you here. Our number two, Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General, candidate for governor. He'll be joining the program. As we get the latest from the Attorney General's office and an update on the campaign trail, we have yet to talk to him after the debate up at the Kansas State Fair a couple of weeks ago, so we'll pick his brain on that one, talk about the campaign trail and how things are. The latest polls show that she's up by a point-ish? Not true. Not true. I call shenanigans. Joe Biden says I say malarkey on that one, so we'll talk about that, break down some of the latest poll numbers, uh, see the latest from the campaign trail. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. 316-721-8255. Three one six seven two one eight two five five three one six seven two one. Talk if you want to join in in this hour. This has been way too long since we've had this guy on the program, and I have to find his uh, sounder because well, it's just been too long. So let's do this. Hey. Back in studio with us here, is Cedric County Commissioner Mister Jim Howell. Jim, what's going on, brother? How you doing? I'll tell you what. I'm just so glad to have
2: a chance to speak with you again, Andy. I'm doing well. Uh, it's campaign season, as you know. It's. Uh, yeah. Life has probably never been busier for me than it is right this <laughs> minute. So um, we're That's barely surviving, about,
1: right? but we're we're having fun, and uh, life is good. Life is good. It is good to have you back in studio. It's been way too long since I have chatted with you, and now that we're getting towards election season, and just to get a county update, we had to bring you on here. The nice thing is, so for those that may not have been following the show throughout this week, uh, we've had some technical issues. Our computer ended up crashing and dying throughout the week, so it was rebuilding the computer. That keeps us kind of on air and doing what we do at the same time, though, while I was doing that in the studio, I figured, you know, what? I'm just going to kind of rehaul the entire studio. And now I can actually see you because I've moved the monitors. I've moved things. I have more open space. And now I can actually see my guest (laughs) that's in studio instead of looking over a monitor and peering over here. So there we are. It's kind of nice. County, boy, oh, boy, we have a lot to talk about. There is, uh, I mean, obviously you guys are kind of wrapping up budgetary season. We're getting into the fall season. We have election season. We have scandals going on with the county. So many things to pick your brain on. Well, there's a lot going on, but uh, thankfully, budgets budgets in the can. We're not going to mess
2: with budget for probably until probably January again for the 2024 budget. So the 2023 budget's... It's it's signed, sealed and delivered, so to speak. Sure. Uh, We do that in the end of August. And so uh, since then, we're now working on things like legislative platform. We're going to be meeting with our legislators in December. Um, We have a date picked out. We, We do this every year. Normally in January, they're backing this up to December this year. And uh, so we're trying to be a little bit more aggressive on our legislation, our legislative platform, I should say. Yeah. So that's going to happen here pretty quickly. So this coming, so we changed a couple things. We uh, used to do what's called a uh, staff meeting every Tuesday. And of course, our BOCC meetings are on Wednesday. And uh, we ch- we're going to try something different. We're going to try to not have our Tuesday staff meetings. We're going to do what's called a workshop on the last Wednesday of each month, so the workshop will replace the BOCC meeting that we might have, we possibly would have had, and the workshop should be more should be a longer meeting and a lot more in depth and a lot more, you know, a lot more uh, discussion perhaps about policy or problems or situations or whatever we need to talk about. We won't be able to vote on anything, sure, but we can certainly hammer out, uh, I, you know, our our issues there. So we're going to have our very first uh, workshop. Uh, In this new format, this coming Wednesday. And the Wednesday after that, of course, we'll have our our regular BOCC meeting. So things are just a little bit different on that front. We have a number of topics we're going to be talking about. One of those is the travel policy. That's been in the news this last uh, couple weeks. And we'll be talking about the travel
1: policy this coming Wednesday. So that'll be fun. That will be fun. Uh, real quickly to wrap up the budgetary stuff. Did you get a lot of um, community input? I know you guys were having oh. some community, um, uh, some community meetings to be able to talk about some of that stuff. But uh, did you get a lot of input? Did a lot of people show up to those?
3: You
2: know, it's it's surprising to me that seems again. I think people don't understand the process. And I love I love the fact that you asked me that question because I want to let me let me stress the, this this truth that uh, people get very very upset when they get their appraisal notices in the mail. I get dozens if not a 100 phone calls uh, from people who are upset because they feel like their their appraisal values are, are inflated and we're just trying to raise their taxes through, through, through raising their assessed value on their home. But then when it comes to budget cycle, we had no one, not one person showed up this year or last year for that matter. Mm. We had two public hearings and not one person showed up and said, you know what, please stop spending so much money. We'll go find some efficiencies. Reduce this budget. It's too much. It's blowing up. You guys are you guys are out of control. You're you're growing this budget, and no one said that. What we did have, we had about a dozen people show up and say, "Please spend more money." Really? And so, yeah, it's just it's just it's crazy to think that uh, not one person took an opportunity to come and tell us to cut, you know, stop spending money. I, you know, that's why I ran for office originally, because I right. felt like government's bloated. Right. You know, we need to stop spending some, so much money. We need to. And really, we have no control over the appraiser. People get mad about that, but honestly, the appraiser doesn't work for us directly. We do pay their salary, but they they technically report to the Department of Revenue, the Kansas Department of Revenue, through the Property Valuation Division, PVD. And so they have rules and regulations. They have to follow the computer models. They have, they have very strict rules on how they do their job, trying to turn something that's subjective into something that's a little more objective. And there's checks and balances along the way. But it's interesting to me that when when uh, the appraiser simply does his job trying to figure out what the fair market value of a property is, people get really upset, and I understand that because it's almost like re, it's almost like a secret tax. I get I get I get it. Get it. They want us to somehow control the appraiser. Well, again, I can't legally control the appraiser. Right. But it's it's interesting. We've been undervaluing property in Sedgwick County almost the entire time I've been a commissioner, and so our property continues to have these corrections applied by PVD. Because we undervalue property. So at the same time, people are so upset about that. It comes to the budget time when they have a chance to actually tell us to stop spending money. And, of course, my, my immediate question is, please help us figure out where can we stop spending some money? Or where should we reduce some spending? And no one has any ideas. Here's one of the arguments I will make for Sedgwick County. We are actually pretty lean. Uh, I like to poke at Johnson County just a little bit. They have over a billion-dollar budget up in Johnson County. Hmm. And they only have about 100,000 more people than we have here. So, uh, actually, 80,000 more people than we have here. So, it's it's interesting to me that um, our we have a thing that's called price of government. We do a calculation that says, what's the price of government per person or per taxpayer? We have a very, very complicated calculation. Our price of government has actually gone down
1: quite that a bit. Good news. Well, you guys have worked hard on that over the, few, over yeah. the years.
2: So, you know, we're providing, I think, more services than we ever have. We have more responsibility than we ever have. We have, you know, we're dealing with crime problems like we never have before. Um, we have new problems like mental health challenges in the community, but this is a, a problem we're trying to solve. So at the same time we're doing all those things, our price of government, if you look at this, you know, mathematically, actually has gone down quite a bit. We're actually like a record level low number sure. right now for price of government. So it's hard to find places to cut.
1: Yeah, it's hard to find places to cut, but we can always kind of streamline it, as you mentioned, with how lean you guys are, which is good news. And I, I go back to the years that I've been here watching you guys slowly work on doing this. It's been a work in progress. And I think we've kind of gone back a, the other way a little bit, I guess, with COVID pandemic, kind of the change in makeup in the in the county commission over the last few years. And I think COVID really did kind of throw a wrench in that as well, because then we got money from the federal government. And, uh, you know, we can talk about that a little bit as well and where that actually went. But the good news is that we haven't worked to try to expand a lot of the agencies, which is good, but, you know, then we see, uh, like you said, the people that are showing up for the budgetary conversation wanting to expand different programs, which I find odd, but at the same time, I'm guessing those are probably the activists in the community wanting more government programs for themselves.
2: Well, thankfully, we've we've actually been pretty good. Um, we received about $200 million, generally speaking, overall between the CARES and ARPA funds. Uh, Those are the two programs that the federal government has created, and so altogether we've received about two hundred thousand sorry two hundred million dollars. Sure, that's been over the course since actually since twenty twenty and that the ARPA funding is actually going to take us out through twenty twenty four. Having said that, uh, the vast majority of the money's been for things like testing, um, uh, vaccinations, health department people, PPE. Uh, We've had some we had some what they call spark. Business grants that went out for the businesses that could, you know, were impacted by COVID. A lot of that money went out to Spark. That very first $100 million, we shared that with local government. We shared that with uh, uh, organizations across very, actually, about, I don't know exactly, but I'd say less than half the money was retained by the county for county uh, impact, you know, COVID impact type of mitigations. The rest of the money went to probably, you know, to other organizations, other governments and things like that. And uh, the ARPA money, every single city, every municip- every municipality, like Wichita, for example, have their own distribution. We have 100 million; they got like I think, I think 70 million sure. for Wichita. And so that money was intended for different. It was more of a recovery of the government itself. We did use some of that money for things like relocating our our organization to the Ruffin Building. That's um, a temporary location, so we can give the courts up uh, the courthouse up to the court uh, a judi- a ju- judicial branch. Because we have a backlog of cases that have been piling up. So we're doing that. At the end of the day, though, the vast majority of that money also has gone towards COVID recovery. We, there have been some jurisdictions that have used that money for all kinds, it's very fun, it's, it's fungible. They can use that money for almost anything. Sure. And so some governments have done things like stand up programs. Well, if you come up with reoccurring expenditures for temporary money, that's, that's not very smart. So we've been very good about making sure it's one time use. And we try to focus it on COVID-related stuff. And uh, I think everything, we, everything we've done in the county has gone through number, a number of uh, reviews. And we have hired a, a law firm simply to review our spending to make sure we're doing this legally. Sure. And to make sure we're doing, we're doing things that don't, don't, don't set us up for failure in the future by setting up recurring spending programs. So I think we've done a pretty good job. And there's about $10 million right now left over. But I think is probably mostly going to go to private sector. But we'll see. It's too early to know that for sure. And uh, we do have a program that's going on right now. It's called COVID Recovery. And if people want to know more about that, please go to SedgwickCounty.org, and they can see on COVID uh, the uh, it's called uh, Recovery Connect. Excuse me. And with that, they can apply for some assistance. I don't know exactly how that program is performing right now, but there's a small amount of money out there that's available for for businesses.
1: Is it targeted to any certain type of business or just any private business? Any, in anybody the can do
2: it, but again, there's not that much there, so. Um, it's it's not going to be a huge amount of help, but it is something.
1: It's something. I mean, everything everything helps. And we're still, I mean, we're two years into it now. And according to Biden, I mean, the pandemic's over, so we don't have to worry about this anymore. But we're still trying to get back up to normal. (laughs) And that's been a process. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, there is that. Let's go ahead and take a break here. We're talking with Cedric County Commissioner Jim Howell. There's a lot we want to talk about today, obviously, with uh, how the county is going. Also, I want to get an update from you in a little bit here as well on trying to get staff for the county jail. As well, I know that that's been a process, so we'll yeah. talk about some of that. We'll talk about campaigns and a heck of a lot more on the program today. I want to remind you, Napoleon Appliance Repair, proud sponsor here on the program, Kansas Talk and KQAM Radio, Napoleon Appliance Repair, LLC. You can find them on Facebook. You can also give them a call at 316-409-1525. Great new partner here on the program. If you have any appliance issues in your home, specializing even in the refrigerators, refrigeration, any type of that stuff, you can check them out. Again, Napoleon Appliance Repair, 316-409-1525. Check those guys out. Also find them on their Facebook at Napoleon Appliance Repair, LLC. When we come back, we got lots more to get to. We're going to try and take some calls. I I think the phone lines are working again today after some of our technical stuff today. So we'll give that a try if you want to give it a call 316-721-8255. It's Cedric County Commissioner Jim Howell right here on Kansas Talk, right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. It's past the hour. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on Wichitas Big Talker KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a Saturday morning. Getting you up and moving for the day. We're hanging out with Sedgwick County Commissioner Jim Howell for the first hour here. Lots of stuff to talk about. Let's real briefly here, let's get the update. Your thoughts on the shortage still that we had with the with the county jail. I know that's been an ongoing issue. Has it gotten better? Are we getting some new individuals in there? How's it look? Well, thankfully, that is uh, uh
2: well. It seems like it's a mixed bag. They they continue to hire more people, but uh, sometimes the caliber of people they're getting right now is just not the best. People. We had a, a story broke just the other day. It, it, it didn't really get much airtime, I don't think, anywhere. But uh, they hired a guy, um, and two days into his training, um, they had to, they had to let him go because he got caught in some type of a trying to you know trying to uh, get an underage, fourteen uh, year old male someone to meet him up, meet him up in town, you know, up at towny Square or whatever. It it didn't, honestly, so they, you know, that type of person, I just think to myself, what are we doing? Right. Um, We were, I think, 114 deputies down uh, a couple of months ago. That's more than half. Mm. And so we had sheriff's deputies or, you know, road patrols, you know, commissioned officers that were using to backfill some of the missing uh, deputy, detention deputies. It came down to a pay thing. We, we we believe a pay issue was a was a pretty big issue. So we did increase the pay significantly. Sure. Starting the wage there now, I think is twenty two fifty an hour. Okay. So you could be, be literally eighteen years old, uh, high school, GED, whatever.
1: Starting out over twenty started, bucks an hour.
2: And when you add in overtime, so again twenty two dollars an hour, twenty two fifty an hour is like you know it's forty five thousand dollars a year straight pay plus benefits plus overtime, and overtime is extensive right now. So if you Take advantage of all the overtime. You could you could literally make hundred thousand dollars as a nineteen year old
1: in one year. So uh, where do I apply? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know. And so we have had a response. We've had a number of people who apply, and, uh, and things are getting better. But the training program takes a number, you know it takes a couple of months to get through training. So we haven't really solved the problem just yet because it was just a couple of months ago that that pay was increased. And so they're recruiting. If anybody out there is, is listening, and would like to have a, a job or know someone, here's what I here's what I would think. When I was uh, when I was going to, uh, I was young and trying to go to college. I couldn't afford it. I always worked my way through college, Sure. and I finally, you know, I finally got several degrees. And I'm I'm thankful for that. But can you imagine making that kind of money? And you're watching deputies at the jail. You could do some studying while you're there. We yeah. actually don't prohibit that. We actually encourage things like that. So imagine making that kind of money. You get an experience. Your resume is being filled out. In the meantime, you're getting college out of the way, part time college full-time work, or some combination thereof. And here in a few years, you have plenty of money, no debt, and a degree and experience and a resume that actually makes sense. Yeah. To me, what an opportunity. So if someone's up and coming and they're 18 years old and wants to you know, figure out how to pay for college, this is a crazy great opportunity.
1: It sounds like it. It's a great opportunity for the work experience, for the money, for uh, just to get there. I just kind of cut their teeth a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that idea. Uh, have we seen more of an application process? Have more people started applying for this? So,
2: yeah, sir, sure. They. I don't know how many right now. I, I know it's been a pretty good response. He's had, he was very pleased that people, some people actually came back, I think, that had left oh, the really? jail. A few came back, and uh, there's others that uh, have applied and they're in school now or training right now. I, I don't know how many. He's not giving me a report, but I, I believe it's It's significant. I mean, we may have had 10 or 15, uh, come in maybe even more since that decision was made on salary. So it's, it's doing its job, you know, in time, we're going to get back to something that's reasonable since I've been a commissioner though, Andy, they've had somewhere between 50 to 75 openings this entire time I've been a commissioner. Sure. So it's 115 is a, as a new, 114 is a new number. It's worse than it's ever been. Um, because again, there's a labor shortage. I call it a wage war that's going on out there. Um, we have a, you know, it's not just government, it's everywhere. People can't find people to, to work in restaurants and restaurants are closing because they can't, uh, they can't raise prices enough to cover the you know, labor to lure people back in. Sure. There's just not enough people in the workforce to fill these jobs. And so that impacts everyone. And so we're, we're, we're seeing a, re- a rebalancing of, it, of our economy based on what's going on. In the meantime, um, there's just not enough people to fill these jobs. And so if you go back, you know, go back even three, four, five years ago, we were short fifty deputies, all the time. We've never been like less than fifty, as far mm-hmm. as I know. He may he may say there's a short time here and there. We we maybe were less than that, but for the most part, it's been fifty, sixty, seventy deputies this entire time.
1: Wow. I like what you said, though. I mean, and kudos to you, by the way, on actually working your way through college yeah. and not trying to just do a student loan forgiveness program, you know, and, uh, you know, just kind of hand over the debt to the government and say, here you go, have it at. Uh, I'm working on paying down mine because I did not work my way through college. I just took out the living expenses and said, oh, i deal with it later. Well, (laughs) Joe Biden's going to take care of you, my friend. Yeah, Joe Biden's going to – no, see, I have private student loans, though. I can't forgive mine. Mine are still (laughs) – even if they do that, then I'm still getting the short end of the stick on on on. that one. So uh, there's that. But it is a great opportunity for young kids, and I think for those that even are especially maybe wanting to go into law enforcement or learning about law, maybe that's a great opportunity for them as well.
2: Well, you know, it's one of those things that law enforcement officers, unfortunately, have had a a bad rap, I think, that – you know, it's a, very, it's a very honorable job, a very honorable career. Sure. And it is a career. And uh, if someone goes into law enforcement, ideally they would get into that, you know, when they're somewhat young. And they would spend 20, 30 years doing this. They could become a detective. They can become a supervisor or, or even a police chief or a uh, elected county sheriff or whatever. It is a very honorable job. And uh, unfortunately, we've had, you know, when someone makes a mistake somewhere in, in the nation, it, it becomes viral very quickly and i think that uh, people have have developed kind of a, ne- a negative attitude towards people in law enforcement and that's really really unfortunate because my entire life i've always looked up to police officers thinking they're they're the, some of the best people in our communities and they are yeah there's a couple of bad apples out there but that's that's true if you go to churches there's bad pastors there's bad politicians obviously bad politicians uh, there's bad ra- radio show hosts and on it goes and so at the end of the day, every, every career field is filled with human beings who are fallible and do things wrong. But for the most part, police officers are excellent people. Yeah. And and what a great opportunity for people to actually get a career started.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It's a way to do it. Well, we've got to take a bottom-of-the-hour break here. When we come back, we're talking with Cedric County Commissioner Jim Howell. I want to get your th- phone calls on anything that you may have with questions regarding the county. Also, we'll talk about some election season. We'll talk about some of the scandals going on in the community and a heck of a lot more as we get ready to move through our number one of Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker. We have a lot of election updates to get to. Kansas Democrats being held accountable by the mainstream media. Say what? We'll get to that later on in the program as well today right here on Kansas Talk on KQAM. Yeah.
0: To Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier.
1: Yes, you are. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480K QAM, Wichita's number one local conservative talk radio show. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Presented in part by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. Make sure to check them out. We talk to Phil Martinez a lot. We're going to have him back on the show again next Saturday. And I want to remind you if you're looking to get gold and silver, He's literally the only place you can get it, not just in the city or the county or the community or even really the state. He has been planning appropriately, and with all the shortages going on right now, he's about the only guy in the region that has gold or silver on hand. So if you don't want to get just the certificate saying that, yeah, you own X amount, you want it in hand, you can walk in there, you can buy it, and you can walk out. With the silver in hand with you, 9344 West Central Avenue. They just opened up a couple of minutes ago. They're open until 2.30 this afternoon. Also, go and check them out online at philscoins.com. we got one more segment here with Cedric County Commissioner Jim Howell. As we Let's shift gears a little bit, Jim, here. And let's talk about election season for a second. Because, I love that. Yeah, that's a big one. That's, <laughs> that's fun. We're just weeks away. We were just talking about that off the air a little bit. Weeks away from early voting here in the yeah. community, which is mind-blowing. So well, yeah, I, I want to get, get to that. But I want to, before we do that, let's talk about the stuff building up to election season, which is, I think, kind of entertaining. I think all of us out here are shaking our heads. But there is a county commissioner. I can't go without asking about this stuff. The sure. this, this county commissioner that is um, causing some issues and uh, causing a little bit of drama on the county commission board right now.
2: Well, you know if I say anything negative, it comes across as being I'm a misogynist, sexist, you know, I'm just she's a victim. <laughs> How dare you question You know, yeah. it's and I honestly I just think it it's not about uh someone's sex, it's about their performance, it's about their ethics. That's all this is. But unfortunately, every time someone says anything that comes across as being critical, uh you know, she plays the victim card and it comes across as being that I'm just being a big old white guy that uh, you know, one the, of the good old boys sure. that's uh, being mean, uh, mean to this uh, poor innocent little female, helpless this commissioner.
1: Flower. yeah. yeah
2: and just, and so I, I, I'm a little bit concerned. I, I'll, I'll share with you though. We do have an ethics policy, and it should matter. I think I'd like to change the ethics policy so that it says that if there are repeated
1: uh, offenses uh,
2: offenses to, against the ethics policy, <laughs> that the other commissioners, you know, are encouraged to censure their colleague. Because you know, honestly, we are not each other's boss. I'm not there. She's not my boss. I'm not her boss. And so we're just really equals as it should be. But, but I think that the County itself has been embarrassed by some of the things that have been in the news lately. And I don't want to have to apologize. And I, the, the owner of the XY bar emailed me the weekend that uh, she was kicked out of that bar because she made some racist, what they thought was racist comments. And of yeah. course, rather than apologize, I felt like it was just defended and excused. And so I had to, I had to apologize. I had to apologize in January this last year. I think it was January. I forget the exactly month it was, but whatever month it was, it you mean was apologize
1: a, on behalf of the commission?
2: On behalf of her, hmm. or because of the commission? Because again, she did something that made us, as a commission, look bad. We were actually at an event lobbying for our legislative platform. And something happened, and so we had to reach out and apologize for that. So that's twice. And then issue with the uh, she issued a statement on the value of them both uh, constitutional amendment, which I think uh, on her newsletter, which I thought was misleading at least, and uh, it was it was not neutral and using county taxpayer funded newsletter to actually lobby for a particular side of that issue. Which, again, I thought that was unethical, so I called her on that, and we tried to fix it. And of course, that just blew up. It didn't it didn't go well. Uh, the end of the day,
1: um, what do you mean by it didn't go well? Like she didn't well, like the fact that you were she wanting to go. She felt like we were out. being mean to her
2: again. It just you know we're just picking on her, and she she just excused what she did. Uh, you Wait, know, so
1: a county a county newsletter talking about county events, she put something in there with a political bias on the value of them both bills that was right. misleading. She
2: she was misleading on what the what the yes and no did, and of course it was very again anybody could read that and say it was very biased the way it was written, and I and it was, and she was on it was on her taxpayer funded newsletter. So why we fixed that. But then when we fixed it, she felt like she was being a victim on that. So there's three. And then the issue the travel policy, which is getting in the news again. So the, again, this it just seems like time after time after time, there's been questions about, about uh, spending, you know, use of use of county resources, uh, how this, you know, one of the issues uh, on our ethics policy is, is treating every, all of our colleagues with respect yeah, I respect all of my colleagues, but when a colleague actually goes and uses Facebook to disparage specific individuals in the county without proof, mm. um, it not, only, not only is it damaging, it's it it's offensive, it, it it is hurtful. I know of one person who's actually talking about quitting their job now because of some of the things that she has done, and so I just, I am very concerned that if this goes unchecked, then... Number one, we're lo- we're, we, have a, we have a reputation about some infighting that's going on right now. It's not me; it's it's my it's some of my colleagues. But but she seems to be the middle of it. She's a common denominator right now between all the things that are going on.
1: So, yeah. at what point do when she has enough of these check marks and she's done enough of this stuff? At what point do you think the commission as a whole recommends for her resignation or asks for well,
2: it? Well, you know, we know she's not going to. We, we did censure one of our colleagues. Uh, a couple years ago because he had some things that were, uh, that were in the news that were, uh, pretty damning to the County. So we did censure him and, and ask for his resignation. Of course he didn't resign not until he was nearly ousted by the district attorney. Again, the, the things that are happening right now are not, they're not issues of legality. They're not, they're, they're not legal or illegal issues. They're simply just judgment issues. It's, it's about, uh, professionalism it's about respect and again the, the ethics the ethics policy deal deals with those types of values it should be about we should be have respect towards one another and so what i think we can do what i'd like to see us do is if this type of behavior continues or maybe it's already maybe we already crossed the line but i think a, a century is reasonable it's about as far as we can go as elected officials because again yeah. they don't answer to us and Unless a crime has been committed, I think calling for resignation may be a, a bridge too far, but I do think censure is reasonable, and it should be based on our ethics policy. So, and it should go for any commissioner. Any any commissioner that violates issues of, uh, of uh, decorum and professionalism and dishonoring the office of a county commissioner, especially repeatedly, I think that it, it brings in this issue, well, what are we going to do about that? I think that a censure is reasonable at some at some point.
1: Yeah, I think at the minimum, and she needs to be censored of that sort. I think that there needs to be a strong stance because it's not just one or two times. It's it's repeated over and over and over of just a lack of judgment. She's not a leader in the community. She's not someone that holds herself up high as a proper representation or representative of the community in any way. And thank God that we have an election coming up. And I think that Ryan Beatty is going to beat her very easily because of what she's done in her district and people that are upset with her, but at some point, I mean, I I, I was concerned even when the other commissioner came on, uh, Sarah Lopez, and I have not talked to her on the program. I'd like to get her on the program and talk at some point, but I thought honestly that those two would kind of be the 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 squad like we see up in Washington D.C. of the socialist takeover, trying to trying to work together to connive against the rest of the commission. And now it seems like they're even in her fighting. And it to me it reminds me of like a high school drama with just gossip constantly. And she's the kind. Co- excuse me, the common denominator of everything that's going on right now. And it's getting frustrating because people just want the county commission to lead and to do what's right, and she's causing issues with that every step of the way.
2: Well, um, I agree. I think when when Commissioner Lopez started at the commission, I think there was a lot of uh, support between the two of them together. But things have changed, obviously. I don't really know the history, why that is. But uh, again, I'll just say that the District 4 commissioner has spent very little time uh, in the office, I'm not sure where she does her work. Um, she has not been collaborative to any of the other commissioners that I can see. There's a lot of obvious conflict that's going on. Maybe it's maybe it's about this political race political race, I don't know, but it's it's noteworthy that there is a there's a there's a very obvious conflict that's ongoing and and, and it, you can see it, it it's in the air. When you walk up there, you can feel it, it's in the air. You know, four actually eight years ago, when I first got elected to the county commission, there was a lot of discussion about, well, we want to make sure that Sedgwick County gets along with the city of Wichita. We need to really work together. We need to get along with each other. Well, I think we did that through 20, 2018 through 2020. I think we're two years, especially where I think we got along very, very well. Things have gotten bad since then, not because I think the city has its own problems. I'll just say that, but the infighting amongst the commissioners themselves is noteworthy. And what questions, where's that conflict coming from? Right. You know, is it, it's, it's how we treat each other. And so let me just tell you, one of the popular narratives in this campaign right now is we need to find a way to get professionalism back in the, in the commission and respect between each other. Decorum matters. And, and how we treat each other publicly especially needs to matter. We need to actually be willing to talk to each other and, not, and do it kindly and respectfully. But it's lacking right now. And again, the common denominator is one commissioner.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is very true. Well, I think that optimism, being the optimistic kind of guy that I am, the glass half full kind of guy, is that I see a lot in her district, even some that are normally on her side of the aisle politically, they're upset with her, not just with the drama and the gossip that she's been causing, but also with some of the COVID-19 pandemic policies and still locking things down and not really caring about them as business owners and so on and so forth, that it sounds like that... She's shooting herself in the foot and it's going to come back and uh, the karma is going to come back here for election season.
2: Well, right now, you know, I'm not focused on District 4 political race. I know that Ryan Beatty is doing really good. Ryan Ryan Beatty, B-A-T-Y dot com, Ryan Beatty dot com. A great guy. Uh, I hope he makes it to the commission. I, I, I look forward to working with him. Um, I'm not so fo- I'm not so focused on that race because I'm sure that everyone else is focused on that race I'm focused on my own. Yeah. At the end of the day, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. I work very hard every day for Sedgwick County. at uh, the same time I've got a political race going on for myself and, and actually for my wife as well. She's running for state house and that's actually been interesting to have her own her own race uh, in her in her own family. So I can we'll only imagine
1: part- all the knocking on doors and street walking you guys are doing together.
2: We are we are very busy people, and uh, I'm so glad to have the chance to be in this position. And I love the excitement of a campaign, and I look forward to serving the people going forward. I I, I plan to win. I know My wife, I, I believe she's going to win easily. I look forward to Ryan Beatty's winning. There's a lot of work ahead of us, and so at the end of the day, campaigns are ugly. We <clears throat> we have four weeks until balloting, till ballots are beginning to be filled out here in Sedgwick County. Four weeks until that happens. Twenty-eight days. People have the ballots in their hands if they've ordered a mail ballot. There's a lot. There's a. There's a lot riding on this race. Yeah. And I look forward to getting this behind us because there's so much work to do. We have got to get back to uh, focus on 100% of our time focused on the work that we have to do here. And so, uh, I love the campaign, but honestly, I'm looking forward to having just getting this thing over with at this point.
1: It's getting close. I know election season is fun yet exhausting all at the same time, and I know that you guys are exhausted because you have been working hard on that. I do want to ask the redistricting. Did that affect your district at all, for county commission? Did that change at all?
2: Well, the imbalance in Sedgwick County was primarily between uh, Sarah Lopez, District 2, and that's kind of south Wichita, south-central Wichita, and uh, you know all the way to the county line out south. And then Lacey Cruz, District 4, going up towards uh, city of Sedgwick, going north. Mm-hmm. That imbalance. And so Lacey had too many people and Sarah needed some people. So there was a big shift between Lacey and Sarah, District 4 to, to District 2. The other districts didn't ha, didn't change as much. My district actually almost was unchanged. I lost mi a Minahaw 14 Precinct. It's only, I only lost one precinct. That's the very northeast uh, corner of my district. You know, my district goes from Kellogg to Mulvane. Mm-hmm. Everything inside Sedgwick County, basically. And the Arkansas River east to the county line. It, it has cut the interior corner off. But... My northeast, my northeast uh, corner of my district, Minahaw 14 is the only district, only precinct that I lost. I went over to Pete's district, uh, Pete Meister's district, district number, n- district number one. Okay. So really, my district's basically unchanged. The other districts did change more, quite a bit more than mine did.
1: Sure. Uh, when okay. you're knocking on the doors, talking to people, what have you heard? What's been the kind of the priority issue that they've brought up? Has it been, um, I mean, has it been voter issues? Has it been taxes? Has it been the economy? What's kind of been the topic of? Uh, the concern.
2: Well, right, right now, you know, economy is really hot. Everyone's struggling with their with their money, and uh, um, the price of the price of commodities is killing people. I'm just going to tell you, taxes, sure. property taxes. They hate property taxes, and I, uh, you know, it's always a, a topic that I'm focused on. We really do we do need to do property tax reform in Kansas. I can't do that at the commission level, but I can certainly lobby lobby r- my rear end off up in Topeka to get some property tax reform in in Kansas. We really need to work on that desperately. The other things I would say is that the the the, the echo chamber talking point is mental health, sure. and it is a big topic. But I would focus on the fact that our mental health problems are are stemming from a generation of drugging children at very early ages and dysfunction in the home. <clears throat> we have a uh, a lot of uh, a lot of society has changed in the last 20 years, and so we're right now right now we're seeing, seeing a lot of mental health problems. But you almost can't put band-aids on that without talking about what caused this to happen. Yeah. And so I like to shift the conversation just a little bit. It's not just mental health, but it's actually causational. What actually caused this to happen? And you have to go back. The, 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 the type of families we have today are entirely different than we had 20 or 30, 40 years ago. And uh, d- the way we discipline children in schools and discipline children in the home has changed. We're drugging children now. And there's so much to this ADHD type of stuff. They're not saying that's not real. It is. But we are, we're depending on drugs so much for our children and they, they grow up and they sometimes they don't they don't do well in school and there's, there's no consequences for for performance in school. and so they just they just basically get by. A lot of these kids don't do well in school and because there's, there seems to be a lot, you know, lack of standards in school. and they come out you know not really being ready for, ready for the real world. And then they turn to maybe some bad associations and, and, and they, 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 because they're depressed, they turn to drugs and alcohol. And so it's, it's, not just, it's not just mental health on its own. It's, it's very complex. Sure. And so it's easy to say we're going to deal with mental health, we're going to treat mental health, but no one else is having a more comprehensive discussion about what's really going on. Yeah. It's, it's, it's children without parents, and it's, uh, it's societal. So I don't know that we can really put Band-Aids on the mental health problem, but that's mental health is huge. And so in terms of, terms of topics, that may be number one. The other one I think is really, really important, of course, is public safety. Sure. People don't feel safe in their homes anymore. And um, that's that's a real problem. If you don't feel safe in your home, um, then government's failing because we, one of our, our number one top our number one priority in, uh, in every elected office in local government is public safety. Yeah, <clears throat> we need to have adequate number of police officers and fire firefighters and, 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 and paramedics. Of course, we know EMS went through a real uh, real tough time in Sedgwick County.
1: I was going to say, was some of the response times that were getting pretty long there, and that was a cause for concern. And I'll,
2: and I'll claim this myself. I think I was laser-focused on that problem. I'm the one that got, I think, things moving in the right direction. I'll claim that because I feel like Sedgwick County was, was uh, failing in that area. And, I, and I'm working on fire stuff right now. We've already, we already talked about the sheriff's deputies. And so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're investing in public safety like we never have before because that is number one it's our number one situation or number one priority in central county so you know about mental health and public safety we haven't talked about infrastructure yet. But infrastructure is huge we have you know we have uh enormous amounts of stuff we own on behalf of the taxpayers it's up to us we have responsibility right. to maintain and take care of those things that the, the, the pub, public has paid for our roads and bridges require a, a regular maintenance and so we have to take care of the things that we own and so that doesn't come up at the doors too much. But people, when they don't have good pub, good infrastructure, believe me, you hear about it. Right. You know, when a bridge fails or a bridge is closed, people don't, <laughs> are not happy. Sure. And, of course, we have things like the tag office and election wait times and things like that are kind of beyond our control. But those things have come up as well.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of things to talk about right. for sure, especially with things going on here in the community. And you guys are on top of it, especially with election season. So hopefully, hopefully, I'm optimistic about this election. And I think we could see some really good stuff coming out votejimhowell.com Vote JimHowell.com. Vote Jim Check me out. Please help me win my race. I love it. You gonna be knocking today? Yeah, absolutely. Knocking on doors. This afternoon. All over the place. Jim, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. It's been too long since we've had you in studio. Gotta do it again soon. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. All right, we'll take a break. We'll wrap up hour number one. we got lots more to get to in hour number two. We always appreciate Jim coming on the program. Awesome stuff for the Sudsat County Commission, and we'll get some of the other commissioners on here soon as well on at the program. Right around the corner, hour number two, we have our interview with Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General and candidate for governor. Plus, we'll talk about the latest on the campaign trail about some of these statewide races and more. Ron DeSantis in the state just a few days ago doing a rally for Derek Schmidt. What was that looking like? We'll do some of that and more when we come back right here on KQAM. hour number two of Kansas talk right here on Wichita's big talker 1480 KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a Saturday morning, getting you up and moving for another weekend. Can you believe it? We are almost at the end of September. The months continue to move faster and faster. The days continue to move faster and faster. And if this is, I, <laughs> I'm going to throw this out. If this is the last time I talked to you, it's been nice knowing you. Apparently, According to the rumors and the fear tactics and the latest conspiracy theories, according to the latest, starting tomorrow, between tomorrow and Tuesday, the rapture said to happen. Did you know that? The rapture is going to happen by tomorrow night. So, I'm just I'm throwing it out there. Throwing it out there. So, if it does happen, it's been nice knowing you and we've had some fun times. Maybe today we should have done a reminiscing. <laughs> Welcome back into the show. 316 721 talk If you want to join in, thanks again to Jim Howell, Sedgwick County Commissioner, coming on the program. Great personal friend. Great guy. Great commissioner. We love him to death, and we'll get him back on again before the election time. We're going to focus a lot of attention on the Cedric County Commission here on the program. Why? Because when I first started... Here in the Wichita area back in 2015, we had a stand-up, awesome, fantastic county commission with Richard Ranzau and Jim Howell and Carl Peterjohn. Well, I mean, we had a solid lineup of really, really great people. And obviously, over the years, it's evolved a little bit. We're not quite as conservative as what we were back then. But when we were back then, things were zinging along. We had some great stuff going for the county commission. And it's time for us to get back to that. And we have an opportunity to do so. So over the next few weeks, obviously, as we continue our coverage of election season, we're going to have more candidates on the program, including Jim Howell again. We'll get Ryan Beatty on the program here in a few weeks as well. I'm going to reach out and we're going to get Sarah Lopez on the program. I have to admit, I have not reached out to her, nor had really much interest in wanting to reach out to Sarah Lopez, because when she got elected, I assumed that she was going to be part of the radical left-wing progressive movement along with Lacey Cruz. So I had no interest in wanting to talk with her on the program outside of if she was open to a substantial debate. But the more and more we hear, it sounds like there's some more bickering going on between Lacey Cruz and Sarah Lopez, and it's time for us to reach out to Sarah. And it sounds like she's not as left-wing as we originally thought. So that is good news. That means that we can work together. That means we can find a common ground and we can actually move forward. So I'm excited to chat with her. We'll get Pete uh, Pete Meitzner on the program as well. And uh, we'll focus a lot of attention on the Cedric County Commission on this program. Coming up, bottom of the hour, we have Derek Schmidt, current Kansas Attorney General, also candidate for governor. We'll play that interview that we did just a couple days ago, talking about the campaign trails, some of the latest going on in the county as well. Let's, uh, I'm going to try it. We're going to try and see if this works. I don't know if it's going to work. We have been having some technical issues. So here's the fun story for you is that over the week when we had the computers cause some issues, we've been wanting to for a while. It's been long and coming. We've been wanting to update and upgrade all of our computers. And we've been doing it one computer by one computer. Well, the computer here in the KQAM studio is... Throughout the day, my lifeline as the operations manager, as the program director handling everything for the stations here uh, for the company, this is the studio I do all of my work out of, and I've been scared to death to work on this computer because there's so much on it, and it was going to be so intricate. Well, the computer crashed this week, and I said, all right, it's finally time to do it. We had the computer sitting here ready to swap out. I've just been hesitant to do it. Well, finally it happened. So while we were doing that, We also did some upgrades to the studio itself, moving things around, getting things more efficient, trying to open it up a little bit for our guests and everything here in the studio. Well, since then, I don't know what's going on, but we've had a blipping in our phone line, and it was a little bit of a bummer's Thursday. We were supposed to have Dick Morris, former uh, political consultant. Uh, for the Trump campaign and a contributor to Newsmax, he's an author as well, we were going to have him on our national broadcast on The Voice of Reason, and I did not know that was the day that we were working on the computer. We went to the show, and the phone line wasn't working, and he wasn't able to hear us. I've been trying to work on it for the for the last day or so, and I don't know if it's working or not. So we may have to get a more uh, professional in to get it. But let's try it because we have someone on the line. So let's see if the phone lines work today at 316-721-8255. Line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? Um, nope. I can almost hear you. I think it was can Sean. You hear me now? I can hear you now, Sean. How are you, my friend? Nope you're cutting out all right it's still do- dang it it was doing it's doing what it was doing before where it was kind of just kind of choppy off and on so we'll get it fixed don't worry we'll have it up by monday because we have some guests lined up for the program starting on monday as well so we'll get her fixed don't you worry about that so i'm sorry but you can't call into the program today at 316-721-8255 but that's all right we have a lot to talk about as we do some election coverage it's
0: time to meet the candidate the government works for us not the other way around Elections 2022. Elections 2022. So I have to give
1: some mad props to the Topeka Capital Journal, and we don't usually do this. I can count maybe on a single hand the number of times that they've actually gotten an article that was unbiased, that was actually fair, that was actually middle of the road and calling out both sides of the aisle. I can count in the years that I've been here in Wichita, I can count the number of times on one hand that they've actually been fair and balanced with the Topeka Capital Journal. However, they actually did something decent with their latest article. Now, for those show of hands, I want to see how many individuals were able to go up to the Kansas State Fair a couple weeks ago and see the debate between Derek Schmidt And Laura Kelly. I wish I could have been there. Obviously, we were on the radio at that time. And by the time I got up there, it was all done. I I missed Derek Schmidt completely. I didn't get to see him up there. I saw some of the other great Republican leaders up there by the time I got to the state fair. But it was from what it sounds like a great event. It sounds like there was a great lot of hoorah from both sides of the aisle. Of course, Laura Kelly had to bus in people. Typical, you know, Democrats that like to bust people around the country to try and promote their own agenda. They like to go in packs. We just show up on our own accord because we feel it's important as Republicans. Democrats, they just kind of have to bust together and encourage them to do it as a big party and move their bus up to different places. So she busts her people in to try and hoorah and try to heckle Derek Schmidt. Didn't really work very well, but at least that's what they tried. There's been some new campaign updates, according to the Topeka Capital Journal. As Let me bring this over here so it's easier to read. The Kansas Democrat Party tweeted a deceptive... Here's the headline for the Speaker Capital Journal. Again, got to give them props for this. The Kansas Democrat Party tweeted a deceptively edited video of Republican gubernatorial candidate Derek Schmidt's comments on education funding. The 12-second video consists of five loops of a Fox News clip where Derek Schmidt asks, quote, What good does it, uh, what good does it do to fully fund schools? Whoa. Now, if you are a Democrat or someone who's involved in the public education system at all, you know that that's a bit of a triggering phrase. What good does it do to fully fund schools? (laughs) Of course we want schools funded. We want them to be efficient. And that's been the big debate here in Kansas. But we want things to be efficient and done properly. And sure, we want uh, schools to be funded properly. We don't want them to be sitting on $5 million of an emergency fund while complaining they don't have enough funds. Welcome, Wichita Public Education System and others across the state of Kansas. But we want you to be fully funded to make sure that you have the resources needed to actually educate the young children of the age. The problem with the 12-second video of Derek Schmidt saying what good does it do to fully fund schools is only part of the conversation. And thankfully, the Topeka Capital Journal actually came out and corrected this, saying that's not the full quote, as the full quote was, what good does it do to fully fund schools if you turn around and lock the children out of them? Referring to Governor Kelly locking down the schools during the COVID-19 pandemic, which makes total sense as Governor Kelly was supposed to be the education governor, taking care of the children across the state, making education and letting freedom ring, right? That's what it was all about with her uh, campaign, and that's what she got elected on as the education governor. Governor Brownback was the evil one. He was fighting for, you know, that whole school choice thing and, you know, a school uh, a school education fund where you could take your funds to go to a charter school or a private school or a magnet school that you could go anywhere you wanted to. Can't be doing that. That's evil, right? Can't do that. Can't do that. But she gets into office. COVID-19 hits. She locks down everything, and then she still advocates for the fully funding of schools. In fact, she was the one that was also advocating for the Department of Education at the federal level to send massive amounts of money to the school districts for the PPPs and COVID-19 relief and so on and so forth. And Derek Schmidt's comment was, what good does it do to fully fund schools if you turn around and lock the children out? Of The school advocating, obviously, for reopening of public education, getting kids back into the classroom because we essentially missed an entire year, year and a half of schooling for our kids. And now they're behind as they continue to age. It's not like you can just be, all right, let's freeze the aging right now. Don't grow any older. We'll just have you repeat third grade next year and then you'll just stay the same age and we'll just go on from there. We'll freeze time. That doesn't work. Meaning if we're going to have an education system, it doesn't matter what pandemic's happening. We need to continue to educate our children. Obviously, some of the pressure does rely back on the parents to do so, especially if they're locked down and they can't go anywhere either. But at the same time, you cannot just stop schooling because of a virus that doesn't affect children, which was the big other key part of that one as well. But the deception from the Democrat Party Going from what good does it do to fully fund schools if you turn around and lock the children out of them to only what good does it fully what good does it do to fully fund schools? Why do we have to fully fund schools? Did you hear how evil Derek Schmidt is? He doesn't even want to fund his schools at all. He wants children to not have the resources to go to the public education system. <laughs> And i got to give kudos to the Topeka Capital Journal for commenting and correcting that one and making the Democrats look a little foolish for that. They were very quick at the misrepresentation, and I use that for air quotes for our radio listeners, uh, the misrepresentation of the text that, that came out supposedly from Tim Hughes' camp, former congressman from the western part of the state, regarding the value of them both, Bill. And they were all over that, how... It wasn't the Democrats being deceptive about the value Them both bill, but it was the Republicans being deceptive about the value Them both bill, trying to confuse the voters going into the polling booth. And I really wish that if they were going to be transparent on something like this, they would have also been transparent about the value Them both bill and the deceptiveness coming from the Democrat Party about the entire bill, saying that if it passed, that they would essentially ban abortions outright here in the state, which was falsely untrue, blatantly untrue. It only put in the basic restrictions that we currently had in the state. So I wish they would have called them out is for the deceptive acts there. They did not, but this is kind of strange that they're doing it now here for Derek Schmidt against Governor Laura Kelly. Now, obviously, the Topeka Capital Journal is all about Governor Kelly. That's their bread and butter. They want her to stay in office, the angry librarian that stalks the people in the grocery store with an axe kind of like a comedy horror movie, you think about it. The governor, the crazy little governor, the angry governor that's stalking people in the grocery stores and has an ax in her hand. We're
0: going to cut the tax.
1: (laughs) I see that as one of those comedy, cheesy, like B-rated horror movies. And they're going to base it off of our own governor here in the state. I wish they would be more transparent on both sides of the aisle, but at least they're giving uh, Derek Smith kudos to what he said there. But now they're not agreeing with him, but they're at least giving the full context of what was actually happening with the comment that he had made. And he's right. Why do we continue to make sure that public education is the number one funded project when we weren't even going to have the kids in the school during the pandemic? Doesn't make any sense. And while the tax revenue was slowing down, while obviously the economy was slowing down because no one was working, then we still, by golly, needed to fund schools with all that tax money that was slowing down here in the state. And then we get the COVID-19 relief funding for public education that just put it above and beyond. I'm curious at what the safety net, what the emergency fund looks like for the school districts now after the federal government just dropped a buttload of money onto the school districts as well. to uh, with Governor Kelly, with Derek Schmidt, this election – is tight according to the polls they say according to what we've seen this week that laura kelly is only up by about a point but it's neck and neck i have a hard time believing that and i still call malarkey on that one because i don't think that laura kelly is in the lead she has spent a massive amount of money way more than Derek schmidt has on the campaign and just a month ago he was still up by two to three points Now this reinforces the idea that we need to unite behind Derek Schmidt, and as long as we turn out to vote, I think we're going to be fine, but we have to turn out to vote. And right now with Derek Schmidt only starting to do the massive campaign, only starting to spend a lot of money across the state on TV ads and radio ads and campaign ads, Uh, all over the place. Just starting it now and him still neck and neck, even if we believe those polls, I think that we're going to be in good shape and we don't have to worry about too much as long as we do our due diligence to actually make it happen and make sure that he shows up and is victorious in November. That's all across the board for all the Republican candidates, right? That's for the governor, that's for the secretary of state, that's for the attorney general, that's for the legislature, that's for the insurance commissioner. The other issue that we haven't focused a lot of attention on, and I have been getting messages saying, Andy, why haven't you talked about this? You're right, is the retention of our Kansas Supreme Court justices. Let's do that in a little bit as well because that is an important topic and I do want to focus on that. So we'll talk about that over the next week or so as well. Lots more coming up here on Candace Talk here on Wichita's Big Talker KQM When we come back, we'll get our update from the AARP, also have our interview with Derek Schmidt and more right here on Candace Talk. talking again with the aarp whether it's the fraud watch network retirement calculator getting involved in the community make sure to check them out online at aarp.org slash ks for the state of kansas make sure to find them and follow them online and mary we're talking with mary on the line again today mary how are you
3: I'm doing well, Andy. How about
1: you? We are doing good. Always good to chat with you. We talk a lot about this Fraud Watch Network, and they always find new ways to scam us. It's frustrating, it's hard, and it's sad that we have to keep uh, the radar up all the time, but uh, always be looking out for when individuals are trying to take advantage or get your personal information. But uh, we're getting close to the end of the year, which means holidays are coming up, which also means that maybe the holiday festivities or the holiday Food is coming out, which means also individuals may be looking at some of the weight loss programs. And, of course, with that coming up, that also means I'm sure there's going to be some scams of people trying to sell you on some fake weight loss pro- uh, programs, aren't there?
3: That's right. I mean, if anybody has a vulnerability and, and um, you know, if, if I'm one of them. I, I always want to try to lose weight. I'm always looking for a way that, that will help me to lose weight while I eat at the same time. So <laughs> those are kind of hard to find. But anyway, so people with that kind of um, situation where they want to lose weight maybe looking for um, programs to try. Maybe something's going to come across your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed that says, hey, we've got this great new weight loss program. And all you have to do is drink something every night and, and you'll lose 40 pounds. You know, everybody's heard those things. And, and there's really, you know, they, they can happen any time of the year. But we want to make sure that people are very, very careful. In 2021, the Federal Trade Commission said that bogus diet products and programs accounted for nearly 30% of all complaints in the category of health care scams. So that's a huge amount, 30% are weight loss scams. So it's it's big, and people know it. The fraudsters, the scammers, they know how to to, to get people to to give over their money for something that's bogus. So here's how they work. A the, uh, web search on weight loss can pull up legitimate-looking websites, and and a, a lot of times you'll see celebrity endorsements. And, of course, that really brings people in. Well, if so-and-so says that's true, it must be true. But the, the websites often encourage you to sign up for a free trial, and if you read the tiny print, it opts you in to getting charged for regular orders or sometimes even additional products. So you have to be careful because when you sign up for something, read the fine print. Make sure you're not signing up to, you know, con- to give away money monthly for the rest of your life. Yeah. And you also have to be careful about the products themselves because a lot of times they'll say they're natural or organic. And they may actually be harmful for your body. So you really, really have to be careful not only on the financial piece of it, but also on the product themselves. So um, really, really be wary of those. And especially when they say, oh, fast results, or we have a miracle product, and um, you know, we, we want to hear those things. We, we want to, to jump on them and see if they work for us. But really, really be careful about that. That's what we want to tell everybody today is this, just to be careful and, and, you know, find some trustworthy sources such as a doctor or a dietitian that maybe you can ask about it or even ask a friend or somebody who might have tried it before and, and, and see if you can find out more about it. And if it sounds too good to be true, yes, it is true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the big sign, isn't it? If it's too good to be true, then it probably is. For sure. But uh, like you said, I mean, just the basics, like you talk about with some of the other frauds is if you see it come through the email or a text message or something to look up a website, look if it is credible. And like you said, take it to your doctors and and uh, cross-check it there to make sure that it's actually valid and that it's something that makes sense for you to lose weight, not just to drink something and all of a sudden you're going to lose 80 pounds in a day.
3: Exactly. And don't click on a link that's sent to you from somebody that you don't know. Make sure if, if there is a product out there, go look it up on your own don't click any links that they tell you
1: Sure absolutely let's talk about real quickly here some events coming up with the AARP and also some things you guys are doing here in the Wichita area
3: yeah we've got um, we've got a great um, uh, webinar on streaming on TV devices so um, if, if you have some questions about how to stream your favorite programs or or apps on your TV join us on September 29th. Um, We've also, we're coming to Wichita, we're going to be back in the the city, we're going to do a food truck festival, all all of this the week of October the 10th, so we'll talk about it again, but food truck festival, a wine tasting event, movies for Um, grown-ups, we'll be at the Grandparent Park again, so lots of activities coming up in Wichita, and we hope everybody will come out and, and enjoy themselves.
1: I love it. If people want to see the list of things that are coming up and some of those events, how can they reach out to you guys and how can they find them?
3: They can find them on our website, which is www.aarp.org.
1: AARP.org. For the state of Kansas. Also find them on their social media as well. Mary, we always appreciate it. Let's do it again real soon.
3: Sounds great, Andy. Thank you.
0: Now back to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM.
1: Cut it! Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker 1480 KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today for another Saturday. Really happy to have this guy back on the program as we get our monthly update from the Kansas Attorney General's <laughs> office. Also candidate for governor, obviously, here in the state of Kansas as well. It's Mr. Derek Schmidt. Derek, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Andy. Good to be back. Yeah, it is good to talk with you. As always, there's always a lot to talk about, and I want to talk about the campaign here in just a second as we are getting closer to Election Day. But did you hear, uh, I'm sure that uh, I almost called you governor already. See, we're already in that mode. Uh, did you hear the news from Joe Biden this last week that apparently uh, that the pandemic's over? We don't have to worry about it anymore. COVID is no longer a threat, and we are back to normal in the country. Is that true?
4: Well, I think a lot of Kansans concluded a long time before the president did that it was time to move on and and deal with COVID as a much more normal part of life as it it proceeds, and get rid of all the mandates and get rid of all the emergency declarations. You know, I think that we'd be a whole lot better off if now that the president has made his declaration, his Department of Health and Human Services would lift the uh, health care emergency, the medical emergency, and, uh, you know, allow things to get back much more to normal all around the country. So. You know, we'll, we'll take this as a, as, as a good sign that the president's finally figured it out.
1: That is a good sign. Now, here's the question. Um, this is why I think Democrats are losing their minds, is that if he says the pandemic is over, does that also mean that there's a push at the federal level to end a declaration of emergency? And would that also put in jeopardy any type of COVID-19 relief funding that they're trying to pass or that we're still spending right now?
4: Well, it's well past time to be beyond the emergency. And, you know, I think a lot of folks don't even realize that there's still a federal emergency declaration in place. But, but that has the effect of disrupting so many ordinary legal and financial procedures. It's time to move back to a much more normal footing, uh, move on, and allow the ordinary mechanisms of, of self government to kick back in and checks and balances in the rule of law.
1: Yeah, little by little. That's what we need. And I know that they're still fighting this stuff for whatever reason. We still have school districts across the nation that are pushing for mask mandates and trying to, uh, I mean, these lawsuits that are going on right now with uh, the the vaccine mandates for the military and uh, religious exemptions. It's a mess. We're trying to get back to normal, but maybe this is a good sign that we're moving in that proper direction. I want to bring things back home to the local level, though, as you've been working on a lot of, uh, issues right now. One of them is that Candace may be receiving a little bit of money uh, from a settlement with Jewel, for those that don't know, the electronic cigarette, the e cig, and uh, that we're going to be receiving some money due to uh, talk about this case, a little bit of uh, some marketing issues or some different campaigns that they spent uh, that they weren't supposed to, or what happened here?
4: Yeah, that's it, Andy. We've been investigating the company along with several other states for uh, quite some time now, and, and we were looking at their marketing practices to the extent that those marketing practices targeted kids. Uh, You know, the behavior with adult uh, smokers or vapers, that's one thing. But uh, obviously it's illegal uh, to target kids and try to induce them to engage in illegal conduct, uh, whether it's underage smoking or whether it's uh, vaping things that might be harmful to them or become addictive to them. Uh, And the company was deliberately doing that. For example, they had in place... Uh, some age verification mechanisms, but there was evidence that they knew that those verification mechanisms did not work, essentially turning a blind eye and knowing they were doing that when they had underage purchasers. So that was the focus of the investigation. Uh, the company has now entered into a settlement agreement with us. They've agreed to change their marketing practices. They're not going to be targeting kids anymore. They're going to have real age verification on their sales. Uh, you know, Sales and purchases of jewel products now are going to look a lot more like the way we control the sales of tobacco to make sure that It doesn't wind up in kids' hands, and I think that's a very good thing. Uh, And so, you know, we were pleased to get to the result that, uh,
1: that we got to. Targeting kids is a little strange, especially, I mean, I get it's not a real cigarette, it's an e-cig, but at the same time, promoting any type of product to young kids is a little strange right now. So are they going to be focusing on what, like age 21 and 21 and up? Is that uh, going to be the requirement? Yeah, it's similar to
4: the tobacco rules. Okay.
1: At the same time, the young generation, last week we talked to a state representative, Brenda Landwehr. She's been focusing a lot in the state on mental health issues. That's been kind of her focus over the last couple of years, and she's wanted more funding into mental health issues for children in the K-12 system, and just in general as well. Uh, you've been part of this program as well as uh, many of the state representatives, including Brenda, but this new youth suicide app that's been launched along with the new number that individuals can call as well to connect with a uh, professional mental health service agency or someone to be able to talk to if they do have suicidal thoughts or any issues like that. But talk about the progress that we've made on this topic in the state.
4: Well, we're really pleased to have finally been able to get this new uh, phone-based app or computer-based app up and running. We partnered with the Jason Foundation out of Tennessee, which is a youth suicide prevention organization, does great work nationwide, done a lot of work here in Kansas over the years. Uh, And, you know, the basic idea is really simple. Uh, The idea is you have this app, uh, folks can download it. I hope we'll reach a point, it's not mandatory, but I hope we'll reach a point where it becomes ordinary that every fall when kids start school, just as part of what they do as the back-to-school process is download this app, have it on their phone, have it preloaded on their school-issued laptops, and then hope they never need it. But in case there is a moment uh, where they need help, where they're really struggling, they don't have to sit there and think, now, who do I call? How do I contact? What's my deal? Can I remember 988? They just pull up this app uh, on their phone, touch it, and they have the immediate ability to either make that call to essentially the 988 hotline or, uh, because a lot of kids don't want to talk on the phone, Uh, verbally, uh, or they can uh, quickly engage in a text message conversation with uh, prevention professionals and others who can, you know, try to diffuse that moment. So, uh, you know, it's one of many tools that are coming along now. We have obviously a significant rise in the uh, uh, number of youth suicides and the number of youth suicide attempts. The attempts actually went up during the pandemic. The completions went down uh, slightly, thankfully. Uh, But, uh, you know, this is a time when we really need to, to redouble our efforts uh, to reach those kids that are
1: struggling well like you said I mean things have gone up and it's not just kids that have been affected I think the COVID-19 pandemic showed an increase in mental health and suicidal thoughts from both uh, to, from both kids and adults that were struggling because they were told that their business was non essential their work was not essential trying to stay home and having those financial struggles but at the same time now while we're having battles about what bathroom you're allowed to use and the confusion that we're being taught in public schools that many in many places right now that uh, it makes sense that we're seeing a massive increase in mental health uh, issues and it's unfortunate but at least we're addressing these issues
4: absolutely and i will say that while uh, you know this new tool is aimed at uh, designed for and intended for kids anybody can download the app and use anybody so uh, you know we welcome that
1: the consumer protection division of the state of kansas trying to work on some of the fraudulent cases in the state uh you guys have been able to recover a little bit of money in the state as well haven't you
4: Yeah, we have, Andy. We just published our annual report. Uh, We we have to do that every year. It's required by law that we report on what we've done. And uh, this last year, our team recovered about $12 million for Kansas uh, consumers all over the state. That's money that uh, the bad guys have ripped off from Kansans. We were able to go out and find it and bring it back and either give it back to the, the person who lost it or in the case of, you know, sometimes we get fines or additional penalties that these folks have to pay for what they've done, and that goes back in the state treasury to help taxpayers. So 12 man's a very good number. It's not the biggest year we've ever had, but it is a large year. We've recovered uh, on our watch since I've served as attorney general. We've recovered about $260 million, a little more than that, mm-hmm. for Kansas consumers and taxpayers. And, and, you know, just to put that in context, because I know the number is a fairly a fairly sterile thing, but to put that in context, that is far more than any prior Attorney General's administration has ever recovered. And i want to double-check the math on this, but I believe it is going to be an accurate statement that that is more than has been recovered cumulatively in uh, the history of consumer protection work by the Kansas Attorney General's office before us. So we've got a great team in place. They love waking up in the morning, hearing from Kansans who have been ripped off or swindled, and standing up for them and trying to help. And, And they've got a great record.
1: I'm proud of them. That is good news. Now, is that going to lead into uh, outside of just recovery and trying to get some of that money back in? Is that also going to lead into prevention to where hopefully we don't lose that in the first place down the road?
4: You bet. We we do a lot of that. I know uh, we have visited before on your program, Andy, about our In Your Corner, Kansas uh, program. We have a separate website. It's part of our our AG website, but access separately, inyourcornerkansas.org. It is entirely about consumer protection. Uh, Folks can report scams, they can seek assistance from us, but there's also a ton of information on there about current scams, what to watch out for, information you can share with your friends at church or with your folks in the civic club or whatever it may be. And in normal times, we do a lot, our team does a lot of outreach all over the state, senior centers, rotary clubs, you name it, uh, job fairs, whatever it may be. Uh, spreading the word and providing information to folks to, you know, forewarned as forearmed, help them watch out for current scams and try to keep their money in their pocket, which is the best outcome, and then nobody gets, we don't have to recover money because nobody ever lost it in the first place. That work was a little bit dented during the pandemic because a lot of events were canceled. We couldn't physically get out and and meet with people, but it's ramping back up now this year and uh, we'll be full bore uh, going forward.
1: That's good news. We're talking with Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General, candidate for governor as well. Speaking of trying to recover money in the state, have we heard of or what's the latest that you've heard on recovery from some of the fraud that we've seen during the COVID pandemic from the Department of uh, Employment and all the unemployment fraudulent claims that we saw as we were trying to upgrade systems? And the I remember seeing the reports of the, the massive amounts of money that were going out on fraudulent claims from bots or from scammers or from whoever all over the country because of the system that we had in place. Is there a way to get some of that money back, or where are we at with that?
4: Yeah, so there was a new audit report uh, just came out, I think it was about a week ago, that uh, confirmed some of these numbers, says Kansas lost around $450 million, could have been as high as $466 million, uh, to crooks and fraudsters who who ripped off the unemployment benefits system during the pandemic. And notably, 85% of that money, according to the auditors, flowed out the door from the summer of 2020 when people started ringing the alarm uh, through, I think it was about January of 21, when finally the Kelly administration got around to installing basic two-factor authentication. <laughs> that shut off the spigot to so much of this fraud, and they've been warned for months that, uh, please just do the basics here, yeah. uh, and, uh, and it took anyway. So, you know, that's history. It's done. Now the question is, is there a way to get some of that money back? There are investigations ongoing. Uh, both the feds and some state authorities are involved in uh, trying to track down some of that money, and I am optimistic that at least a small amount will eventually be recovered. But the truth of the matter is most of that money flowed to offshore accounts, ultimately uh, it's held uh, somewhere that uh, can't be traced or can't be found, sure. and tragically it is, uh, it is lost. So hopefully we can scramble back uh, a small amount, but most of it, was gone prevention was the only tool and it just didn't happen
1: Well, yeah, it's very sad. The frustrating part about that is, like you said, I mean, it was being forewarned. And when you come out with a decision that, hey, we're going to lock things down, you're not allowed to go to work, then you're expecting more individuals to apply for unemployment benefits because you're telling people to do so because they're not allowed to work. And if they were forewarned that, hey, the system's not quite ready for that bulk of people to try and come out and apply for programs, then you would think that you would want to make sure that your system's upgraded and ready to handle the amount of cases that you're forcing people into.
4: Yeah, that's exactly right, Andy, and, you know, uh, unemployment fraud was a problem everywhere in the country during the pandemic because of the sudden, uh, uh, you know, shift in so many people being out of work all at once because of the lockdowns and shutdowns. What made Kansas particularly problematic uh, was that, you know, not only did the, the, the fraud problem emerge early on, but it took the Kelly administration so long to take just basic steps to try to shut the barn door. And uh, during those months that Kansas lagged behind, a lot of taxpayer money flooded out the door to crooks and fraudsters, while at the same time, Kansas families in need who had been thrown out of their work by the lockdowns um, couldn't even get their government to return their phone calls or emails to try to help them get the benefits they needed to put food on the table, make a house payment, make a car payment. Uh, it was it was a it was a terrible circumstance that
1: must never be repeated. Yeah, amen to that. Again, we're talking with Derek Schmidt, a uh, Kansas Attorney General, also candidate for governor. You can find his uh, campaign website at schmidtforkansas.com. Let's talk about the campaign for just a minute. You've had a busy last couple of weeks. I did not get to see it last week or a couple of weeks ago. I'm a little bummed about it, uh, but it was happening right during the program here on Saturday, but the debate that you had with Governor Kelly at the Kansas State Fair obviously it's not one where a lot of substance gets to come out per se because you're in front of a crowd that likes to chant and hoot and holler and have some fun at the same time how did the debate go and what was the response that you got after that
4: well it was a lot of fun Andy. it went very well you're right I mean the the fair debate the traditional kickoff to the fall campaign season uh, is one where the crowd is uh, encouraged to be partisan on both sides and to be very uh, boisterous and they were which is what makes it uh, makes it a fun experience Look, we focused on the things that are really important to Kansans. We focused on the ongoing cost of daily life, high unemployment that's caused by Joe Biden's policies that Laura Kelly has made worse with big spending and, and growing costs of government, uh, and the veto of more than 20 tax relief measures that would have provided some more cash in Kansans' pockets, including vetoing her own food sales tax provision until the election year came around, and, and she decided it was a good idea to finally you know get that thing done. Uh, we focused on the damage that was done to so many of our children during the lockdowns, locking them out of their schoolhouses and the ongoing uh, mental health damage, the ongoing learning loss, the ongoing loss of good teachers, the ongoing loss of students and families from the public school system. Uh, all of which was uh, terribly damaging. And we focused on, you know, the importance of standing up against the Biden administration when they do some of these crazy things that harm the future of our state and our country. And, you know, I've got a long record of standing up against Biden's overreach, and, you know, Governor Kelly just sort of looks the other way because she doesn't want to cross the leader of her own Democrat Party. And so, you know, we we made the case for change, and uh, the crowd was very engaged, and and, uh, I felt great about where we ended up.
1: I still smirk a little bit, both with her campaigns that she sees on on the TV ads and what she's mentioning at the debate, like you mentioned. I mean, the sales tax on the food is hysterical for her to be campaigning on and try and pat herself on the back for because of how many times she tried to stop it. Not just as governor, but even as a state senator in the 20 years that she was in the Senate as well, where she blocked it over and over and over again from Republicans that have tried this stuff. I don't know how she can parade herself around as one to say that she's done something that she's fought against her entire political career.
4: You know, the biggest increase in the Kansas sales tax on food, biggest increase at the time was in 2010. Uh, Laura Kelly voted for it. I voted against it. We were both in the state Senate at the time. Then she promised to, as a candidate the first time, to reduce the sales tax on groceries. Then twice in 2019, Republicans put on her desk a bill to do just that, and she vetoed it both times. Then I came along last fall and called for uh, reducing or eliminating the sales tax on groceries, finally getting it done. Then about a week later or the next week, uh, she stands up with her little hatchet and her TV cameras running all around the state to the produce aisles and saying, look at me. uh, Look at what I'm going to get done. Look, take a look at your grocery receipt. The sales tax you're paying is the same today as it was the day Laura Kelly took office. It is higher than it was before 2010 because she voted to increase it. You don't get credit for solving a problem that you caused. uh, And, in fact, the problem isn't solved yet. That tax rate would be half." what it is today if she just signed the bill when we put it on her desk back in 2019 and it would be on its way to zero. So Kansas deserves so much better and we are going to do much better come January uh, when I get to take
1: office. Amen to that. Last thing for you here. First off, congratulations as well. I saw the endorsement from Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, coming out, uh, doing a rally in Olathe a couple of days ago and uh, and, uh, promoting you, talking about you, endorsing you. That's a big boost there. And uh, just another nice little tag in the campaign, isn't it?
4: It really is. We've got a lot of momentum right now, Andy, uh, moving into the final weeks of this campaign. Uh, It's basically a neck-and-neck campaign, according to the publicly available polling. I believe that's probably correct. I think that's great for us coming down the home stretch into the fall to be functionally tied with the incumbent, who's already spent millions and millions and millions of -of out-of-state dollars uh, on her race. Uh, I think we're in a great position to go win this thing, and Kansans are coming on board. We need Republicans to all get on board with us and get this job done. Uh, We can do so much better in this
1: state. Amen to that. It is going to be good. Like you said, I mean, she spent way more money than anybody else has so far because of the desperation and the fact that you guys are still tight neck and neck is really good. Because now we can open up the floodgates with the Republicans. And uh, are you guys, have you guys already started your bus tour? Are you about ready to start that for the Republicans uh, statewide? Yep,
4: that'll be coming up here before too much longer. Uh, It's a custom that we've been doing in uh, gubernatorial election years for a long time, sometimes in other election years. And it's just a great way to reconnect with voters. I'm looking forward
1: to it. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to get you guys down here to the Wichita area. We'll have to hold a big rally uh, down here with KQAM and with all you Republican candidates looking forward to that one and how this campaign season's going to play out. It is Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General, candidate for governor as well. schmidt 4 com is the website. Derek, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. Keep up that fight. Let's talk to you again here soon on the campaign trail.
4: Sounds great, Andy. Thank you very much. Take care.
1: you Believe it, it's all done. It's all wrapped up. We're wrapping up here, last couple minutes here on the program here on Candace Song. Thanks again to Derek Schmidt coming on the program, Attorney General and candidate for governor. We'll get him back on at least one more time before the election day which is can you imagine we are a month and a half away from election day here in the state of kansas it is going to be as donald Trump says it's going to be huge and it's going to be bigly he brought up a lot of interesting conversation which we'll bring up next week again when we come back here on the program for kansas talk it's we have more guests we have more state legislators we have more Sedgwick county commission candidates and more that we'll have fun with on the program here but until then We're out of time, my friends. We'll get the phones all worked out. We'll have those back on by Monday, everything back up again by next weekend as well. It's going to be an interesting election season. I am optimistic as long as we do what we need to do. I love the fact the Republicans are together on their Republican bus. And yes, we will work on some type of event here in KQAM for when they come to the Wichita area. We will be there with our bells and whistles on and make sure that you are aware of what's going on with the candidates across the state until then have a great weekend the weekend with michael brown coming up right around the corner here on kqam we're also back with our national broadcast of the voice reason on monday everybody enjoy the slightly cooler weather maybe just maybe we're not going to see triple digits any longer or at least the mid to high 90s i'm totally okay with that unless of course the rapture happens this weekend in which case it's been nice knowing you but if it doesn't we'll be back next saturday for kansas talk right here on wichita's big talker kqam everybody have a great weekend.